And we're live. We're here uh, with uh, my good buddy, Robert, Robert Regner, in the studio. And uh, we'll uh, Sunday afternoon podcast. Just kind of dropping in on you guys, saying what's up, uh, having a little conversation. We already had all the good conversations in the other room before the podcast. But that's that's why I started a podcast. Record great conversations. Uh, so uh, what's up, man? What, uh, what have you been up to? A lot of the same life, man, <clears throat> for the most part. Excellent, yeah. So, um, for those of you that don't know Robert, uh, licensed massage therapist, uh, you know, cool cool life story. I'll let him uh, kind of fill you guys in on uh, some of his uh, thoughts and uh, uh, approaches on things. But, uh, so, like, what? Uh, when did you get into massage therapy? What was the... Um, what kind of led you down that path? It's kind of a family tradition, man. We uh, <clears throat> sit around the you know, house at the end of the day, just rubbing feet, rubbing backs, whatever. And Cora makes me do that. Yeah, you know, just hanging out as a family. And I had my grandma, you know, we all, most of us have that little native story in our family bloodline at this point. And uh, she was, you know, healer. She's one of those people that could just tell you a lot about yourself and, you know, dietary things and herbs. And apparently my great-grandpa on my dad's side, who I never knew, was a herbalist and could tell you, you know, whatever's laying around on the ground, just what to do with it and, you know, how to grow it and how to keep it. And, um, <clears throat> I had wanted to be a plastic surgeon when I was a kid because I had gone through some pretty traumatic uh, injuries and I was fascinated with, uh, with helping people with things that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to accomplish. And For sure. So I, uh, I realized, you know, <laughs> mid-teens that I didn't ever want to do 8, 12 years of school, all the rigor, all the things that come with being a doctor in our country. So um, I joined the military when I was about 19, and I, as soon as I was, you know, stable on my own doing my thing and was working a corporate job, Verizon Wireless, and... Ended up uh, doing night school at one of the better, uh, it's called the Steiner Institute. They, uh, they have one of the better massage therapy programs in the school because just my opinion is most massage therapy uh, programs in the country are lackluster. You know, they, they, they aren't what they could have been. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's almost like a very commercialized approach. Uh, and it, I will say that that opinion almost kept me from getting massage for a long time. You're really like, you've been working on me for, what, a couple of years now. And it's made a big difference. Uh, that in, in, turn, in, in uh, addition to um, occasional chiropractic visits, and then I've been doing yoga. And I've always stretched multiple times a day just with all the training. But... Um, like I, I went and got some massages, but it was never really like, man, that was so beneficial. I got to go back or man, I really felt that working out a serious issue in my hip, <laughs> uh, you know, and that's, uh, but you, you do have a different approach versus anyone else that I've ever had work on me. Cause like I never went back for second, third, fourth visits or was like, yeah, let's make that happen. Whereas like the very first time that you worked on me, I was like, I, it was a noticeable difference. Uh, so where where did you go to school? Was that in uh, Arizona? Yeah, Steiner owns a <clears throat> umbrella of schools under the Utah College of Massage Therapy, UCMT. And the Tempe campus for the Arizona School of Massage Therapy was where I went. And they taught us everything from, you know, Eastern. We learned 
ancient Eastern traditions, they have what's called a master body worker program, basically a continuing education program. And they'll teach you Reiki, so you're learning straight energy and metaphysical, you know, touch. And uh, they teach you more about Eastern history than anything. It, it's called Advanced Eastern Paradigm is the actual course. <clears throat> so, and then on top of that, we learned a lot of even what uh, Western medicine and Eastern, uh, current Eastern medicine, more like Russian sports and things like that, not a... Uh, not what's happening currently with traditional like Chinese herbalism or anything like that. We don't go quite that far. Yeah. Um, that's one thing, uh, that most herbalists that, uh, that I meet, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Dean, he's uh, he's a big time herbalist. I actually had borrowed a book from him a couple of years ago. I just gave back to him, um, which he knows quite a bit and I, has turned me on to like some different teas and things to make that uh, had helped me out like when I was recovering from my surgery. So I came home from the hospital after just having a simple procedure, hernia repair, and I was all jacked up. Like my immune system got jacked up and I start, like had this crazy um, issue with my skin. Like I had these little, uh, like, little circular things start popping up on my skin. And um, I had never had anything like that in the past. And uh, it was like an issue for over a year and then just like drinking teas and, and it was, it was, uh, then I too, like, I, I really watch my diet super closely, like way more closely than I have been recently. Uh, but I'm still not, you know, like it's, it's under control, but it was, uh, drinking herbal teas that definitely made all the difference in my view. I was doing things with, uh, chamomile, like red clover and uh comfrey root and some things of that nature. And I got that stuff under control, and uh, that was after exhausting all dermatological and my general practitioner and everything. I went and saw everybody, and they were just like, oh, well, we don't really know what to do. And they were just chunking me full of antibiotics and Z-packs and penicillin and just trashing my immune system even more. And then I was trying to get it back in control of probiotics and um and these herbal teas. But I'm, I'm actually a big-time believer in nutritional and herbal medicine, Um is is a great fundamental approach depending on what you're dealing with in other means let me ask you this real quick <clears throat> so you you and i um which like i'm 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 an open-minded individual and i've i've um not uh, it's not like i believe in things like um empty touch martial arts and things mm -hmm. of that nature where i'm just yeah, like i want to throw you far. out of your chair over there like this but not, but so we both listen to Joe Rogan and stuff, uh, quite a bit. Like we've listened to a lot of episodes together, just like working out, working around the house, whatever. Uh, what, like he, he's been critical of Reiki in the past. I had only heard you, which he's also been critical of chiropractic care. And I've referred some of my guys that, um, that just were like, man, I, can't, I feel like I can't train right now. My shoulders. And I was telling you before the podcast, um, how I'd had that issue in my shoulder and, I uh, had it. I went for three visits and that was it. And it's not my, my chiropractor has never been a person that's like, Hey, let me prescribe you. Like somebody told me the other day, like, yeah, my chiropractor told me 15 visits. He's pres prescribed me 15. But I think that's bullshit. <laughs> but, but my chiropractor is like, Hey, if you know, come back if you need it. But I mean, like from all the grappling and training, just like there, there are herniations that happen and, and, I believe you can control them with things like massage therapy, chiropractic care, nutrition, 
um, things um, with anti-inflammatory um, properties, glucosamine, fish oils, uh, MSM is something, uh, I do stuff called Blue Emu. These are all great topical and internal treatments. But I'm I'm pretty open-minded for, and some of it, you know, even if it's placebo effect, but I just kind of like, I don't like that he's been as critical as he has been about chiropractic care because I see that, like, people have pulled a clip out. And I haven't seen it, like, his, like, thing, it's popping up on my YouTube all the time, just being like, Joe Rogan, blast chiropractic, which that's not really the question. The question is, what if that's a, you know, I know that you've done some training with Reiki and you've talked about your guy and, like, what's what's your take on people that, would be critical of that or like what would you say to people that don't know what it is so a lot of people can't like when you talk about a reiki master many people can achieve a rank of master you know it's just like a black belt bro you can you can have a black belt in some programs without really being a black belt you know and that's just my take on how i feel yeah no i mean they're they're handing out to your black belts and karate and taekwondo i mean it's uh it's it's a lot uh it doesn't mean what what it once did or what a lot of people i I feel like it, the black belt embodies and the yeah. general mind of like normal people how they think about it is not really what it is for a lot of traditional martial arts when we look at reiki in general kind of massage in general also the way it's presented the way people practitioners actually are you know it's hard to not have that stereotype when you're looking at a bunch of people who are so far out people who are just you know like living an unbelievable life almost so what i would tell people is that somewhere between the secret you know the book and lifestyle where we each make our own reality and complete atheism is the truth you know there is a universal new st- type of connection everything that we look at in this third dimension is built in diagrams and it's broken down by our brain and everything is broken down to binary all of our senses and pretty much not to be uh, too corny but Luke what he described was pretty spot-on when when you look at the force that is in between life and death the thing that actually is compelling everything to take the next step because even what we consider death of a physical body is not the death of the particulates even but the energy within us the consciousness that seems to um, epoch with the human uh, there's no proof that that ends you know there's no proof that that ends and either when we look at science science is supposed to be the the experience of each of us is the most important thing and that's only been you know de depopularized like in, for the last 200 years say 150 200 years maybe a little bit more since you know about the 1500 the original awakening and all the different um, looks at science that were coming up at the time but even when we look at people like Descartes, even uh, and he's a little later than that father of modern philosophy yeah pineal gland he still believed in the the one news, the one intelligence, you know. So that idea of light on water that makes up all of Taoism, you know, yin-yang, everything that you, uh, martial arts is based off of. And people, I do believe that there are people who walking down the street, you know, you feel that person, you're connected with that person, and that person probably has some, some strong know connection with uh with that true light you know and that's what humans 
are. We as human beings are the only upright beings and we don't seem to understand how important that is. Yeah, exactly. We think about our posture automatically. It's just I know. I was like, man, I'm slouching. (laughs) So, you know, we we struggle against gravity every day. I love to hear PTs talk about it. It's something that's fascinating. But the reason that what I personally do, and there's very few people that I would speak to um, being, being actually qualified and gifted at this, they've lived a long lifestyle of love, dude. They've, you know, they've done things, and other people way more than me, because I'm, you know, pretty self-centered in reality. Um, I, I think that they've lived a selfless life, man, and they're just in touch with things and it doesn't really matter what church they grew up under um it so happens that most of them that i know that i would vouch for did know christ at some point but they are all practicing what we would consider Taoism, buddhism you know ancient thought you know uh, i talked about this in my uh western civ class the other day so the mongols were uh and my my philosophy professor gave this uh metaphor of bear spray and believing in God, it's like, well, and I forget, it was, he did it, particularly in philosophy of religion, but, um, and, and I, I got to hear, I took him for like 27 hours, so I got to hear him, and he's like, hey, you go, you go to the woods, and you have bear spray, you believe, otherwise you believe in God, and um, if there's no bears, there, when you die, nothing happens, yeah. not a big deal, <laughs> but if you do have the bear spray, and um, there are bears, or s- there is something after you die. It's good to have the bears play, or have believed in God. That was his uh, his metaphor. He had some some creative uh, analogies that could get you to wrap your head around things like uh, just different schools of philosophy, or reason, and just ethics. But um, that the Mongols were super um, tolerant of all the other religions. They had their own views, and um, they uh, they would move into the Middle East, China, um, even parts of Europe. Um, all their peripheral, anything outside the Asian steppe that was a peripheral tribe before getting to like Russia or China. I mean, you just look at Mongolia on the map. They'd be like, hey, you know, you're telling me this is what's true? Uh, well, that's not what I heard, but what if it is? Mm-hmm. We're going to believe that too. You know, so like because they did that, because they were by the time Kublai Khan comes to power from Genghis Khan, they're just like Marco. The way Marco Polo writes about the Mongols is not how I would interpret the Mongols in their rise to that point. They were just like raping and killing everybody. It is not to get into all that, but um, there's some crazy stories. There's listen to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, Wrath of the Khans parts one through five, I think it is. I've recently went back through the first, you know, three or four, but Marco Polo's writing about it just being like, man, these people are just so tolerant and everybody wants to be a part of their empire. They're so peaceful and, you know, and uh, there's this thing called the Pax Mongolica, which is a Mongol peace. They had, they had brought about to the entire world in a, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what they really did is they were just protecting the Silk Road. And not like the dark web internet Silk Road. That's funny. <laughs> the actual old school trade routes. And when they could no longer protect that 
is when there there became that need to find uh, a new route to India or China, and that's what all the European monarchs were focused on during that same period of time you just mentioned a minute ago, that scientific revolution era of of world history. But it's uh, a lot of revolution of thought born out of that, man. Yeah, from man from the Renaissance or exploration. You could just say. 1492 on I, I mean there's a lot of old divisions you could do honestly but from that point in time until uh world war ii i mean because it's just one thing after another at the turn of the century you get napoleon uh, for the um, 19th century you got um <clears throat> 20th century maybe that you get world war one and two which dan carlin does another awesome series on that blueprint for armageddon uh which a lot of hours of content but it's a worthy listen mm -hmm. And the way he describes things is, is so uh, so powerful. Talks about the German army marching through Poland for like an entire day and just like remarking on, the, like the first-hand accounts, like remarking on their uniforms and all these things and, and how like the, they, they had an army that, could, it would, that would pass through a town and you would see the army come in. You're like, oh, wow. And at the end of the day, it was like the tail end of the army. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I don't remember why I got, oh, the Mongols, religious toleration, yeah, open-mindedness, yeah. good for them. You know, pretty much everywhere throughout history, when we look at peace, it's always precipitated by war, bro. And I don't care who's in charge, this is something that both sides need to recognize in our country, and the, the right seems to be understanding it more and have fallen into the progressive category, in my opinion. But man, you know, when, when we look at strife and the things that human beings actually accomplish, you almost have to have a platform like the church to have that massive spark. And um, something that I would say about, you know, our, our country or the church in general, it's like at least we have part of our income dedicated to what we want to. There are many, many places in the world throughout world history where basically none of what we what you do is attributed to what you actually want you know it, and that's why america has been great that's why other people have come to our country and achieved what they couldn't achieve back home and you know yeah yeah for sure um so what uh you kind of turned me on to uh that ted talk a while back we we watched that here just a few weeks ago it was, pre it was fairly interesting I, I i really enjoy um a lot of the TED Talks, I heard that the way they do the TED Talks is super weird. Like they like force you to stay in a, um, like stay the night with whoever is also giving a talk that day in the same hotel. Like you can't get your own hotel room and they're going to put you up and it's like an experience for the speaker. But um, a ton of people that have been on uh, JRE, like that Megan Phelps Roper, um, have, have given some talks that I really enjoyed. Um, there's one the other day I saw that I hadn't seen that I was wanting to see. But anyway, periodically I, I'm, I enjoy watching TED Talks. And uh, so like what, um, and you, you had some cool views on on yeah. that. And, and really they were, they, were talk, yeah, they were talking about some things that you, you talked about way before that TED Talk uh, was even on either one of our radars. But what... Um, yeah, the light on water theory, man. So <clears throat> when we look at modern science, especially from the pre-Socratics up until basically what we would consider the 1900s. Everything was based on 
yin and yang when we think about it. And most religions are also, whether it's Taoism, which specifically says the one begat the two, the two begat the three. You know, Genesis goes into the same thing. So when, when we look at the universe, what we have is dark matter, and then we have light. And when we say light, that, that is the universal, like, noose, right? That is the actual um, spark that drove the world, the God particle, if you will. And um, when, when we start talking about uh, things like the fourth phase of water and what can actually be accomplished with, um, with the worldview changing on what water is, what, when we think of matter, matter is water for the most part. That, that's what needs to change is that this is not real. This is not real. This is not real, bro. When we start accepting that we are a particle that assimilates matter to us, that's when human, like when I say human, what I really mean is American because Eastern thought understands this. The Japanese believe, I'm sorry, I say that very, very... Uh, no, that's a generalization yeah. I get. I, I, I've talked to philosophers about the same, the yeah. different, because I've asked... Everything has a spirit. You know, the sword has a spirit. As soon as you cut the pyramid of salt from its mother, you know, mine, it has its own spirit. It becomes its own entity. And that is what needs to change in modern science. And the, in my opinion, see, there used to be, you know, different classes of, of people who made power distribution in our country. And we talk about science having taken over to the point where ego is, you know, no longer productive. We, we have science having replaced the warrior class. You know, we, if, if you have a view that people don't agree with, the popular class doesn't agree with, and there's been a lot of social upheaval about it lately, you know, the, the supposedly most open-minded people will kind of bash you for your views. And I think that um, when we look at what science has become, they've really destroyed a lot of their own greatest thinkers over the last, uh, you know, it's 500 years, 600 years now, man. People that, you know, as specifically in smaller countries, they had all these great theories and had products that would have, you know, if, if their country would have accepted them, they could have maybe been on par with America, you know, way quicker, you know, but it just never happened. That yeah, it, I mean, it's crazy here. if you look at, uh, like, um, England, Great Britain, the UK, how that's a tiny little island yeah. right off the coast of Europe that took over everything at one point. There's a saying that the, the sun never set on the British Empire, and that was true. And that's due to their thinking. They, they understand that you have to have an antagonist to build off of. And I think that that's something that they adopted, you know, probably with, I hate to sound, uh, what's the word, overly, overly dramatic or romanticized things, but, you know, the uh, Knights of the Round Table or something like that. You know, there, there's some kind of ancient <coughs> knowledge that was kept. And they understood that. Well, you know, one, with the yeah. fall of Rome, there was so much culture that was lost. Uh, same thing with all the libraries that had been burned, Alexandria. Uh, it just even in the 20th century, when Mao Zedong uh, took over with the um, uh, took over China with his revolution. But uh, I mean, definitely, and and ironically, to me, is until even you know. Until World War II and even beyond, 
the era of history that we've kind of brought into a couple of times till now, more or less, is when colonization started. That's when all of these countries set out to colonize the re the world, not just the region. That's like the Mongols. That's the known world to all of those people and their their own reality. But um, you know, when you have Europeans going over and wiping out the Mississippian culture and Native Americans, your um, all of those. It's like all the way until Vietnam, and Vietnam was us trying to help France regain its colony, French Indochina, and that's So, like people in history refer to this that period that I'm kind of talking about, like Vietnam era, is decolonization, and it it started happening before that too. Um, later 19th century on. Damn, Vietnam blew up 10 years ago, boy. It's very successful right now, you know? Yeah, I'm, true. History is really divided. Joseph Tran, do you know him uh, from Eric's school? Mm. Um, I call him Wesley Chow, uh, but he's... Yes, uh, yes, I do. Yeah, uh, yeah it's funny. <laughs> I have, Like, I only call him Wesley Chow, but uh, if you're listening to this, Joe, I called you Joseph Tran first on the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, but he's he's from Vietnam. So, uh, I think if he's not, I hope that doesn't make me a racist. Anyway, just joking. No, um, really everywhere you look, man, you know, we, we have from Caesar writing on it, who, uh, you know, great, great source as far as the long term. They all talk about different tribes not adhering well to what we would consider civilization. You yeah. go through, uh, humankind makes it so much more violent than necessary dude. we we fight against self-recognition you know it's it's almost strange even the people in our country right now who think they're the most in touch seem to be the farthest out of touch right now and that's what trips me out because stereotypes are completely the opposite and popular like science would tell us the opposite but um i think that when you look at who's actually being, you know, open-minded in our country, they are the segment that 10 years ago weren't being, you know, they were all about basically economy and things like that. Are you, are you familiar with the, the concept of a zeitgeist? A zeitgeist, what does it mean? So, like, like in a roundabout way, my whole idea in doing this podcast is to kind of get caught up a little bit more in this concept of the zeitgeist or even create an archive of the zeitgeist, which zeitgeist literally means spirit of the time. So it's like you can only be in touch having heard all sides w without forming super biased opinions. So like anybody I have on, I'm going to let them say whatever they want to say and I'm going to say whatever I want to say. And, and th we might even have people debate each other. You know, it's just like I heard a rumor that uh, J Joe Rogan is going to have Neil deGrasse Tyson and Eric Dubay on at the same time. Nice. That would be great. And that, I feel like we need more of that. Some of the coolest stuff I ever watched and um, that little circles thing on the paper I told you, that was a... Um, uh, someone, uh, maybe maybe it was a, a modern Christian guy, I can't remember what his background was, but uh, he was debating an atheist, and they, he gave that analogy for potential knowledge versus um, actual knowledge. And fascinating. So it's like two circles on, on paper, and you've, you, you have the guy shade in how much knowledge he thinks he has. Out of all, the, the circle represents all knowledge, and it's like, then you ask him the question. So 
the whole rest of the circle couldn't contain what you can't perceive with your mind on this topic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just fascinating way to look at things. And I'm, I always try and maintain an open mind and try and think about things later or, you know, just, I hate, I hate being, uh, I hate just being closed off to certain ideas based off, um, preconceptions or things that like, I mean, it's just like, I'm always trying to rewire things that, yeah, like just snap points of view you develop over your lifetime without really even, it's like almost like when you, uh, somebody asks you something, it's like, Hey Brian, uh, you want to go get something to eat? And I'm like, what? And I heard you say, do you want to go get something to eat? But I said what? Like I didn't. And then you repeat yourself. Like it's like I've cued in on that over the years and like tried to like reduce it. But it's just like it's like habitual. So it's like how many other just kind of knee slap responses do we have to um, situations, to comments, to views where it's like I think let's just uh, like having heard all like that Mongolian approach, uh, just look, all sides could be right. We're not saying we're right. We're just saying if you don't join us, we're going to kill you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was the that was the one thing about it. It's like you didn't have a choice, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> to, to be a part of the the empire. Uh, there, it, it's crazy. There's one uh, story where like they lined everybody up like next to a wagon wheel, and if you were taller than the wagon wheel, you got your head cut off. Wow. Yeah. Like this, like single file line. They had this system systematized, yeah, mechanized. That Dan, back on Dan Carlin, he calls um, he calls people like Julius Caesar, Mao Zedong, um, Genghis Khan, historical arsonist or creative destroyers, mm. because a lot of times in history, people look at him as like yeah, like like I'm saying with the Mongol peace and Kublai Khan, it's like when you when you view the like on that book, even right there on my table, when you view what they had to say about it, you don't get the Holocaust of 20 to 50 million people that they laid upon the, the region in, in just a short amount of time. I mean, he took over the entire Middle East in three years. Wild. Yeah, in the most vile ways possible. Um, and I, I, one thing, it's very unfortunate, but Dan Carlin goes into um, rape a lot. And I'm, I'm talking about that and um, when I hit on Spain and exploration, Columbus's voyages. Oh, because genealogy is a very big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's like uh, Genghis Khan, like, um, I think father to uh, son has more, um, more, more kids or more, more people in Asia. One in 500 males in Asia can, can directly trace their lineage. Genghis Khan. There's all this, these stats out there on it. You can look them up. But um, fascinating. I really, I really enjoy that podcast, and I really enjoy studying the Mongols. But uh, I would like to either take or even eventually offer a class on it. But you just don't like even in either one of these books. These are both really good books on uh, world history. But you're just not going to get it in there. You gotta in there's not there's only a few sources. Like you really got to dig in the historiography of what the Middle East Middle Eastern historians and uh, Muslim historians had to say about the Mongols as they were, because the, the Mongols, they had this uh, history that came out later called the secret history of the Mongols, but so little is known about that era. I mean, it's kind of like the Old Testament is written way after or based off oral traditions. And, but there, there are a lot of accounts that kind of match up and it's kind of like um, Egyptology. 
that that views on that are changing all the time. As we would tell Napoleon went to Egypt and found the Rosetta Stone and brought it back, and we were able to, over time, translate that back to a Ptolemaic. So like Dan Carlin calls Alexander the Great a historical arsonist. So Alexander the Great takes over the whole world in a very similar fashion, or that known world is Genghis Khan, very similar. And um, they took over a lot of the same regions too. But when he gets to Egypt, he, he st installs like his own um, generals there, the Ptolemies, P-T-O-L-E-M-Y, I believe. And um, they kind of make this, uh, and this is post-New Kingdom, uh, but they kind of make this uh, new um, melding of cultures between Greek uh, culture and Egypt, Egyptian culture and everything that they had also absorbed uh, from the whole region yeah, and all, the, all the campaigns. All of the early scientists traveled to the east. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody. Even Plato. Plato yes. went to Egypt. Every, uh, they, and that's fascinating. Uh, I love uh, – Joe Rogan's done some podcasts where people have really delved into um, – I want to say Graham Hancock even goes into it. But um, super fascinating. And they were able to – there's like a Ptolemaic form of Greek – Egypt, Egyptian, Greco-Egyptian, I don't even know how you would say it, but it was just say Ptolemaic um, language, and uh, it was kind of a melding of the two languages as I understand it, and I may be butchering this, but that, this is how I understand it. They were able to go, uh, so you can't translate hieroglyphics at this time, so they were able to take the writing on this stone that had hieroglyphics, and then this sort of Egyptian greek language mm -hmm. and then um yeah, yeah they translated it back so but you're still going over like that middle language it's like you're gonna lose it's like the tin can game you're gonna lose some of it along translation it's like the old testament like it's it's really it's really written well but it's based a lot of the the earlier books i know for a fact uh having looked this up not too long ago uh, and looked into it a little bit, are based off like 800 years of oral traditions written after the fact. Which, you know, I'm not devaluing that in any way, but I think it's really important to understand the history of the history mm -hmm. on stuff like that before really offering a lot of, like, you know, like that's why I was saying uh, before we started, I think it's important that you give people all sides. If we're talking about the theoretical model of the Earth's crust, Maybe we should be talking about that hole um, in the, um, which it's I, like, I guess it's in Russia or Siberia, but. Um, I think the Russians drilled it in Antarctica. Russians, yes, the Russians drilled it, but it wasn't in like, you know, central Russia. But um, fascinating to read about what they encountered at what depths and how that doesn't really match up with what we think the earth yeah. is doing underneath us. Mm -hmm. So I think that that, uh, in, you know, uh, I think more and more uh, over the last uh, few years, things are being presented in that way, but not, not universally speaking. I, I think um, having heard some of the earlier uh, history on some of the people uh, like in the, in the Darwinian sort of era that uh, kind of developed and formed other legs of science, in the post-scientific revolution world, I'm talking like mid-1800s, earlier 1800s, for example. Um, and I can't remember their names without having them in front of me. But the, the early uh, scientists that came up with um, found the first dinosaur bones and things of that nature. It's like, hey, here's nine teeth. And 
this is what it would look like. Yeah. And then moving forward, that became the basis of, uh, of understanding as to, we know to it. Kind of further what I was building on earlier. When you talk about the Rogan podcast, remember how they play the audio clip of the dude kind of denouncing uh, the people who talk about dinosaurs and the dinosaur expert on Rogan's show is getting personal if he was here, I'd be kicking his ass. Blah, yeah, I do remember the guy's a paleontologist. You talk about Alex Jones getting hit in the back of the head while at the same time simultaneously saying the word, you know, dumbass or whatever it was, you know, they're throwing at him. Um, yeah, dude, you you get such a myopic view of the world right now, and I understand. Like, I I came from a pretty progressive school in that, um, you know, the uh, Phoenix, Arizona guys. We we had a good channel eight. My dad uh, worked for Honeywell, Sperry, uh, Allied Signal. I got a lot of theoretical physics, a lot of Doctor Who type stuff in my life, and um, I gotta say that. The things that were theorized, you know, we, we could make a list if you want, go through his uh, Google nerd trip real quick. But uh, what I'm saying is true, man. There are so many things that were theorized over the years and people have been blackballed from science. And specifically, like you said, Egyptology, there was, you know, a lot of knowledge built in the Eastern culture that's been passed on to the Western. The, uh, the amount of knowledge that's been lost is, I mean, if you really, if you were to survey the libraries that were burned, and the the regions that were set on fire by people like Genghis Khan or the Crusades and all that was lost, I mean, there's no telling. I mean, and that's why I want to, in history, I maintain a very open mind. Uh, and it's not like I'm, I'm going around thinking or like with, with like ancient aliens, ancient astronaut theorists mm -hmm. believe. But, um, I am uh, I am open to the fact that like the, what we know and what's happened in the last couple hundred hundred and fifty years and how we've gone from wagon wheel uh, to this podcast technology and these cool salt lamps and whatever mm -hmm. you know everything that you know your iPhone your Android that's a big deal that's a big jump forward and that's just because of things like computers microchips and advances in technology will pre uh, there's been all of these um societies that graham hancock is big on that have been found and they're starting to be um believed uh a lot of his narratives starting to be accepted in the historical community they found all sorts of underwater uh, like an underwater sphinx even in abu kir bay which Ironically, Napoleon fought a naval battle when he went and got the Rosetta Stone in Abu Kir Bay. Wow. So, but there's been all of this. Yeah, the Indus at, River Valley. Yeah, which is, yeah. The, the Nile changes seas. over time, you know, and the, that area used to be like where the, where the, where Giza's at. And beyond that in Abu Kir Bay, that used to be probably where, you know, the, the, the town that is on the other side of the Giza, um, where, where the three great pyramids are that probably used to be moving out forward but it's like they probably had technologies that we can only speculate about that might have sent their civilization in a totally different direction for a few hundred years that you know whether it was had to do with uh, i know there's a lot of really uh fascinating um we talked about light earlier, but how the Egyptians harnessed light and, and were able to light the inside of the dark rooms and uh, things based off of uh, I'd, reflections. I'd like to introduce something else into American thought. What actually creates electrical currents, right? 
fluid flow creates electrical currents. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that if you ran uh, the river of the Nile, that volume of water over something that's built out of the stone that, you know, conductive stone of the pyramids, and then plus they had it uh, covered and sealed for the most part. So it was actually, probably was, um, uh, wow, I totally blanked the word, but anyways, it doesn't allow electrical flow. Uh, you were channeling the water's flow potential through the pyramid, and it was actually uh, probably moving energy to other parts of the pyramid. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, see, there's, um, and I, I'm actually going to look up this dude's name, because there's a guy, as I understand it, in Egyptology, and he's in, like, every History Channel documentary yeah. ever. Um, and I want to look up and see what his name is. Oh, Hawass. No, uh, Zahi Hawass. And I feel like that he's kind of like pigeonholing information and preventing people from delving further into because he's uh, holding on to the current narrative of what we know. Well, we know everything. Or, well, th that can't be true because we know this. And that you, I feel like that you get people like that in power, uh, like uh, Michael Booty and I, I just did a podcast on drive-by truckers on Friday, which I haven't put up yet. I'm editing a lot of uh, pictures and lyrics and stuff into it for the audience and for YouTube. But um, there's like when we saw him, uh, Cooley is one of their front men. They have two front men. And uh, he, uh, Patterson Hood, that song I was reading you about, uh, George Wallace, uh, he... Uh, <clears throat> He is one front man. This Miss Cooley is uh, the other front man. And uh, at the show, he's like, you know, I love my grandparents. But due to advances in modern medicine, our grandparents just keep living a whole lot longer. And you can't just keep outliving your grandparents. You got to outvote them, too. <laughs> like, that's what he said. At the, they're like a super you know, politically charged band, you could say. But he was just like, you know, you can't just sit around and wait on yeah. stuff like this to die out. That That is the uh, stifles progress. But you, you can't just come along and annihilate it either. It's it's like you're saying with yin and yang. It's like there's, there's a balancing of perspectives. Mm -hmm. If there's just an open-minded approach, I feel like, I mean... You're going to have views. I'm going to have views. But if I personally attack you, which is like one of the most blatant fallacies that we could create or an argument gets heated, which it's so easy to do that. Like I've even done that not recently, but somebody was just kind of like stating some really po some points that I just thought to be. I'm like, well, do you know about this or that? What about this? And I don't even like in hindsight, I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I even why did I even bring that up? Like, why did I want to like, cause I pretty much like started trying to goad them into arguing because they, they didn't have really any facts to present. And I was presenting facts and what I perceived to be facts or thought to be facts. And, mm -hmm. and then afterwards I was like, man, you know, that, that kind of personally attacked their viewpoint. And I felt bad about it because that's not who I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be a balanced perspective but also, like, I like playing uh, devil's advocate oh, yeah, for yeah. people that, that they do not, they don't balance their perspectives. Like, well, that's what I learned in elementary school. Well, that's what it's like. 
Well, I tell people this frequently. I graduated high school in 2006, and I got out of high school not knowing anything about the Vietnam War other than my grandpa had a son that died in Vietnam War. Like, that's really it. Like, I knew it was a thing, but, like, it wasn't talked about, and, like, now I know exactly why. Now I know about the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. Um, Now I know a lot about Vietnam that would, you know, in a roundabout way, shake my belief system but and so like it's like it's it's almost like choosing um to omit and i I feel like that that kids are getting out of school learning more about it and i realize that also vietnam is a newer thing to be analyzing there's a lot of sources that have come out even since i've been out of high school but um i feel like that there's almost like a for the means of uh, patriotic indoctrination, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of things that are omitted. You know, like, um, so Cora asked me the other day, she was like reading some article or something, and she's like, who do you think the top three worst American presidents were? And I was like, hmm, Andrew Jackson. And she was like, no, he's number five or something like that. But, you know, I I'd feel like went going through high school and um, even some of my, like, survey general education stuff, once I started getting to upper level, it just depends on who you took for what. Um, you started to see that Andrew Jackson maybe wasn't the nicest dude. And it's just it's fascinating to me through the revision of history how people get painted as, like like the Mandela effect. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a great example. It's like, hey, you know, this guy was a murdering rapist, but look at all this good that he achieved. That's why like, I'm really fascinated how Dan Carlin calls that. I'm going to use that in my, in my in my lectures and when I think and, and, and learn about history going forward about these people that they're, they're a monarch or they're a whatever, but they are, they are creative destroyer, like, a, you know, a historical arsonist, a Hitler, a Stalin. Uh, uh, I mean, a little list goes on. You could uh, you could pick and choose. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, real quick, I I'm going to say some things, and I want everyone to understand that I've got a really good track record. Um, I deal with a lot of doctors. I've dealt with a lot of psychologists. I deal with a lot of people who are actually really in touch with themselves and have great reputations. So understand when I say this, I'm not. I'm not a crazy man, you know, this is something that that uh, that there's a lot of background for. So, um, what what we're dealing with in our country as far as the, the big issues like social justice, like paying too much for Medicare and things like that, you know, all of our, our little expenses that are kind of causing controversy. When, when we look at our culture, the best thing we can do is preventative, you know, Get, get rid of all the foods that were made during World War One and World War Two. all of the canned foods that were made for, you know, people who were basically fighting wars and ended up becoming part of our population. We need to eat more of what we would consider the, uh, the paleo diet. You know, just Man, I have, uh, you know, because I live out on a hill out here, yeah. and I thought about doing, like, some, um, what, uh, what are they called, um, they're like uh, almost like uh, like what the Greeks had, dude. Yeah, stepped stepped off. I mean, I have several cultures have done this on like hillsides and stuff, but uh, the Incas did it. Uh, 
But it's basically like a raised garden or flower bed, but you can kind of do them on a hill and step them off, do like one up here and one down here. I can't remember the if exact. I remembered all the names for everything that I've I heard. Know, dude. Yeah, this is too too much in the in the brain going on for us. I mean, I'm trying to do a, a podcast on King Arthur and 1968 later. I got to think about that stuff too. You know, people just have to understand. Yeah, we uh, we need to understand that our culture is is getting materialistic to the point where we don't uh, we don't have the same value to human contact. You know, we aren't totally agreed. Yeah, with with casual social contact, uh, like many other cultures are. You know. Uh, when we're pushing our way through a crowd in a in a crowded city, Americans don't seem to have the same joyousness and jubilation as some other countries when you push through their crowded streets, you know. So it, it's an attitude of more selfishness and more basically bringing things unto ourselves, and that is what the essence of materialism is. So we, as, as a culture, when we uh, want to start, you know, saving money and actually trimming our debt, we have to accept that, you know, doctors are imperfect, our medical system is imperfect, we're going to learn things as we go along, and there's no justification to charge people what is actually being charged for prescriptions and medical care. Now, have I told you about my health insurance? No, I, I saw a quick look yeah. on it. Man. So, uh, well, we're making some changes, and some of them have to do with exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But um, since, uh, so like, I, you know, I've been with my wife for several years, but we just got married just a little over a year yeah, ago. A year. Um, so I guess this October would be two years. Last October was one year. But we've been together for several years. But since we got married and since I turned 30 and since she turned 25, that all kind of coincided with in like 18 months. Mm -hmm. My health insurance got up over 300%. Whoa. Yes. From like I paid uh, when I got married, I was paying like a little like $109 a month or something. Now we pay five. So now, but so like, but we're just going to do, we're, there's a lot of things we can do to, uh, like, I'm going to raise my deductible a little bit. Cora's going to get on her own plan after when enrollment opens back, I'm going to get on my own plan. We're going to kind of set up another little, um, sort of a fund where we pay into it. Like we're going to, I mean, there's, there's a lot of other ways to go about it other than this traditional system you look at. And really, uh, I don't know if it was you were saying or, or someone I was talking to within the last couple of days was talking about how it's like, what what we need doctors for more than anything is trauma care. Yeah, trauma care, exactly. Like like, like when you broke your arm. Exactly. Like accidents happen, man. When, when I say things like what I'm saying, uh, I hope the Americans understand that, man. I speak from someone who had their, I only have my career because of doctors, because of the plastic surgeon, you know, so... Yeah, you know, we when we when we get preventative care to the point that we we're eating healthy and we're comfortable being stretched out by someone to, you know, alleviate our pain and understand that our body is a a projection of our mind at the very least our somato emotional is real at the very least we need to accept that and um, understand that we ha we have pools of energy in our body much like uh, the you know, the Mormons would believe that we have different parts of our body Ancient Easterns and many cultures believe that we have different parts in our body. The uh, the uh, sociology, or I'm sorry, sociology. No, no, sociologist. no, no. Um, Tom Cruise's uh, Scientologist. Scientologist. Every time I say yeah. Scientologist on this podcast, I'm like, are they going to be watching me? Yeah, it's weird. It's Dude, I just I just recently rewatched uh, the Leah Ramini J R E, and um, then the Ron Miscavige one came on right after that, but. I am fascinated by that whole culture and how, 
like if I ever, I want to do, um, I want to do like a series on the podcast on my history unravel where I kind of talk about like uh, Westboro Baptist Church, uh, Scientology, a lot of uh, maybe Aleister Crowley, yeah. you know, just a lot of sort of last couple hundred years of history for some really wild and out there uh, thoughts and ideas. Even oh, Okay, so to build on that uh, process that you were talking about with your chiropractor, how they want to see you for a certain number of visits. I personally don't believe in things like that. You know, if you if you have three or four visits with a chiropractor and you think that it's healthy and you're you're getting along, um, that's good. I don't think but I've ever gone more than like that three times. Yeah, exactly. It just and and two, it was weird. After the second visit, I went back up to the first and I told him I was like, after I left, like and Derek, like one of our really good friends who gave me this chessboard is in chiropractic school right now, but he was kind of explaining it to me. But like, it was all in my neck and collarbone. Yeah. And he lightly, I mean, it was like going to a PT session, put the, put me on the TENS unit and the ice and, and they put, they did this little, um, ultrasound. They like put this jelly on like my, my neck back here between my shoulders and like rubbed it on there. And it was, uh, it felt great. Like it alleviated a lot of tension and pain. And I mean, you know, a lot of that is very helpful too. And then they really kind of prepped me and he did a very gentle alignment on me. But then I started noticing something in my rib, like back here in my my back. And it was just like almost taking my breath away. And I mentioned that to him last time and he aligned me, went through the kind of the PT stuff at the beginning. And then he uh, really, uh, the next alignment was just like a lot of relief, but still a little bit in that one area. And after the third time I left there pain-free and other than just like I told you, I'd been off and like I got the flu over, over the break. And then, um, had a little like possibly like a not necessarily like a staph infection i caught it way early but i got scratched two different places in one week i mean we're big on like hygiene and stuff at the gym but man when you get scratched that staph underneath fingernails and you can't do a whole lot about that there's no amount of mopping the mats and two then you gotta preach to and we do we have them signs like trim your freaking fingernails but then two here's another thing trim your fingernails and then you don't wash your hands go read go read into that a little bit like your nail bed is have to file it down and wash and uh, i even use a little alcohol on the clippers before i use them most of the time man because you never know you know have you ever had a manicure uh yeah a pedicure too man okay so manicure on the toes a uh, pedicure is on the toes. Okay, yeah. that's what I want. I want one for the I'm feet. If we, as Americans, were getting pedicured and getting our feet rubbed and blah, blah, blah all the time, like instead of investing millions of dollars in treating things that already exist, we should just put some people who are actually great therapists into their niche and let them take care of people's feet, let them take care of people's necks. You know? Now, um, to, to put out a thought on what was said earlier, like, you know, Rogan... Uh, got on one topic uh, as far as that girl dying on the chiropractic table. Now, every human body is different. Was that an infant? Was that a child? No, she was a model. She was an adult, dude. And he, they might have mentioned an infant also. That's what I've heard him come out big yeah. time against, which I can I can understand that dude, to an extent. Every human body is different. It has its own Agreed. total deviations. There are actually people who have, um, like ribs on their upper vertebrae on their cervicals man so that's why x-rays and things like that are important you know and when you start talking about chiropractics and um myself man i've worked on a ton of different people who i probably you know was pushing boundaries as far as working with the neck 
And, um, you know, it's all about focus and concentration and focusing on what you're trying to achieve and, you know, letting that person walk through their emotion. But when you're a chiropractor and you just pick someone up and you pop something, dude, you know. I will say that's a big difference, man. When you work on me, it's kind of like we're working together in a way. Like I I have to fit in a... I've been doing yoga too uh, more and, and it's still like I stretch a lot, but man, it's different. And all of this kind of is different and the same, but like I have to, I have to focus on re- not pu- pushing back. And I have to focus on that and like everything I do really jujitsu, yeah. um, yoga practice, holding stretches, gaining flexibility, uh, massage, but chiropractor is kind of uh, chiropractic care is kind of different. But that's like I feel like why they go through all this preliminary relaxation. Yeah, most chiropractors will work in. They feed. They read the map of your body. You know, quote unquote. Well, my guy's done grappling before too for several years while he was in college, and um, yeah, is helps. able. He's so personable, and like I mean, like I turned him on to widespread panic, which mm-hmm. I which yeah. Uh, yeah, we went to Memphis and May together, widespread panic, which we were uh, talking about that fond memories there as well of Jimmy Herring cheese gratering our face off into the fourth dimension. Yeah. But uh, that's uh, why my really good friend is there right now and uh, uh, watching him play in Mexico, Colby. And uh, he's just been blowing me up, telling me all about it. This two out of four nights have happened already. So uh, when he gets back, I'm going to uh, make him come on the podcast and do a panic in la playa unraveled so uh but man i'm I'm definitely i'm wanting to go see panic again i've been jonesing to see panic uh what did you think about panic i had a great time man that was a blast bro to put it in perspective for everyone like i got to see this unique kind of dark side of panic everyone was in black and bluesy yeah super bluesy dude i felt like john bell like embodied in some sort of strange way, like every Memphis icon ever up there, but also like he just had kind of this, I mean, he was wearing a sort of like a green plaid checkered suit with like some black cowboy boots or something on, but just like they, they just brought it down and dirty and grimy. They played me in the devil blues. They were got real bluesy that night, but they also played some of their classic Vic Chestnut songs. You didn't get to hear him play. So check this out. I think I told you when I saw him at panic in the play last year, they closed one night with, um, they had these two songs, protein drink and sewing machine. And they're actually a song by Vic Chestnut. And it, it was written by this guy who's paralyzed. And like he like, but like he had some like feeling his neck and arms so he could strum the yeah, guitar. Yeah. So like all the members of Panic except for Sonny Ortiz, the bongo player, were in a band with Vic Chestnut and John Bell called Brute. So like Panic plays this song, Sleeping Man. Remember the song that Dave Schools played? You're a sleeping man. Um, and I'd like, I don't remember the lyrics word for word, but I, I do like it. Uh, and it's one of the ones that their bass player sings, but it's a Vic Chestnut song. But at the other night they opened the first song. So like when I saw them last year, they closed night three with protein drink yeah. and it's like a two, it's a two part song. Yeah. You told me they opened the next show with, with yeah. sewing machine. It, Cause like right where, um, protein drink ends is the start of sewing machines. Oh, well, so that's what they did with set one on night one the other night with Colby. They opened with protein drink and they closed with sewing machine. 
They did Protein Drink and To Climb to Safety, probably two of my favorite Panic songs ever. And then when I saw them um, at Rogers a couple years ago, uh, they came to the amp, Walmart, the amp up there. Uh, for those of you listening, we came up with Walmart right here in Arkansas. Okay, that's our claim to fame. And they have a cool amphitheater that they bring awesome bands like Widespread Panic in. And it's actually the first place I saw Panic in like 2013, I believe. But um, <clears throat> that was not long ago. You've racked up some panic time. Yeah, I think I've seen them nine times total. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that one was like I saw them four nights in a row. So <laughs> it's not so it's four, five, six, I guess eight times, seven, seven, eight times. Anyway, uh, and I've, I've missed them a couple of times and I'm missing them right now. But uh, they uh, they just really bring it, man. And they're such an incredible band. But uh yeah, and then Brute and Vic Chestnut. If you haven't listened to any of those guys, uh, look into them. Um, yeah, so we're definitely, I'm going to do uh, Music Unraveled on just widespread panic. I end up probably talking about them every podcast because I just love them that much. Mm-hmm. And I tell people this, Booty and I were talking about this when we did our Music Unraveled. It's like, no one knows who they are. Just like when jo- uh, Colby turned me on to Joe Bonamassa. Yeah. I know who Joe Bonamassa was. Now I'm just I'm sharing his videos on Facebook every day. What and you went to Joe Bonamassa concert with him. What do you think about that? Oh, there have been very few times in my life that my mind has actually been blown, but this the whole, the entire band, bro, it was um, just pristine, dude. It was something that I will remember forever. Uh, the night was a blessing. It was like love was poured into me by that crowd, bro. And that's it was such it was an intimate show. They didn't yeah. even sell upper deck seating for that show. Like we got like lower bowl seating, I believe. But um, dude, that's it. Like uh, I will say, like probably three of the best shows I've ever been to, or when we saw the Floozies and Sun Squabby, yeah. who are coming yeah. back here in just a couple of months. I'm telling you right now, they are incredible. Yeah. Get out and see them right now. Oh Go. my gosh, man! And I mean, they're just from they're from this region. I mean, Kansas City. They're five hours away. So uh, they play in this area all the time. They played. They just uh, they just played a two night show yeah. this weekend, yeah, which uh, I did not go to. But I've seen them twice, and I'm going to see them play with uh, Sun Squabby and STS Nine, Andy Frasco, and some people here in April. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, I've been talking about it. As soon as Colby gets back into town, I'm going to get him and Booty on the podcast at the same time too. Uh, and we're all we've all got a list of all these concerts we went to in 2017. A lot of them we went to together, like. You know, like me, you and Colby went to this one or whatever, and we're just we're just gonna be like, "How awesome was that? Tell me about this." It's just like just bringing up all the memories, man. You know, like it's such such good times. I mean, because dude, I would say those Panic and Bonamassa shows for sure. I mean, Floozies when we went, that was like a couple years ago. Actually, tonight's the the other Super Moon night. Interesting. Yeah, that is true. Harvest Moon, Blue Moon, whatever. Or not Harvest Moon. I'm sorry, Blue Moon. Yeah, uh, did you ever see that Family Guy rendition of Star Wars? I think it was called Harvest Moon, wasn't it? Or Blue Harvest or something like that. It was so funny. <laughs> oh, man. All all of the Star Wars renditions they've done on Family Guy were funny. So, so um, to let me let me finish this thought real quick. So when we when we look at our reality and the third dimension, think of it like exactly like what Disney portrayed in Star Wars. When Ray was getting in touch with things, like she saw everything, right? And then the next, uh, the next sequence is actually very specific, man. She goes into that place where she was tempted, right? And it's water. She falls straight into the water, yeah. And um, 
and there were vines, you know, and when, when we look at, uh, like, for instance, the two serpents intertwining themselves on a pole, you know, this is, uh, the double helix is something we see all throughout nature and human history, so, um, she falls into this water, you know, blackness, she goes into this place, it's basically black, and she's in the fourth dimension, right, and so she snaps, and this snap just goes bam, 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 and it reverberates through what we would consider time, right, so, Fascinating. Yeah. 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 Almost all great musicians I know. Mm -hmm. I think that's what got me yeah, thinking about widespread panic because, uh, like, that was like some fourth dimension stuff going on when yeah. I tell that Jimmy Herring story of panic. I mean, yeah. and they've talked about that in interviews, and a lot of a lot of musicians have. It's like sometimes when we just get up there on the stage together. John Frusciante from the Chili Peppers uh, talks about this in the opening sequence of the documentary they came out with the black and white one funky monks and like nine dealers when they were recording blood sugar sex magic mm -hmm. and they they refer to it as a fourth dimension they're like it just like time that just you become the song you're within the frequencies that you're providing and i yeah. watching led zeppelin play in the 70s man mm -hmm. and like things that uh because like my buddy colby was kind of talking about some of their gestures and stuff and i've been watching some documentaries about like watching them play live, like they are, they are in the groove. They're like very much making a trance, dude. Yes. You know, Heron references a couple times being an alien, being thousands of years old, bro. And I, I think that that's something else humans need to look into, dude. Because especially because of the gender fluidity, you know, identification thing is that what if you've lived. 20 lives or maybe not that many lives maybe more like you know 13 14 like that is it's fascinating the number of uh, religions that believe in like a lot of past lives like the scientology for example yeah. is big into the past lives things but they're 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 so big into it that at a certain point i've heard a lot of the, like the celebrities that defected like it lost them because they're like not only but you past life but it was on another planet and that planet was overpopulated so xenu the intergalactic overlord yeah, yeah. so um that, that it's a trip, but man, when people who I really respect because of my years of life experience, um, when they talk about these other dimensions or the fourth dimension, like our, our Earth, quote unquote, like our uh, Milky Way galaxy, this particular gravitational field that we're in, so time, space field, uh, is very unique and it can apparently accommodate all kinds of different beings, do things that we wouldn't even think of, like not just humans, you know, so we're, um, we're unique. It, it's crazy to me that there's so many coincidences like we are somehow at the middle of the universe even though we aren't you know we are not the center of our galaxy we still are located magically at the middle of this totally chaotic universe you know and there's uh, 10 billion things you could go off on in that thread you know but we we are we are just such like we are driving a machine we are driving a uh, What's the word? An avatar. We're driving an avatar, you know? It's like a body's a, body's a vehicle yeah. for experiences. Yeah. Elon Musk said at this leadership, the world leadership thing, he said, if there was one thing I could tell you, every leader of the world, to understand, you need to understand the nature of physics. Not, not every equation, but you need to understand the thought process behind physics. And the reason for Which that... Which blows my mind. Yeah, dude. And, but it's really not that complicated, you know? When we think of an atom, um, it, there isn't two, you know, say two uh, electrons floating around. The, the, there's actually a cloud where the electron could be. 
and the probability of that electron's presence is something that the human seems to have some kind of determination over, whether it's a physical, you know, I can levitate a pan or bend a spoon, or whether it's you just are connected with someone you love and you're, you know, you know what they're feeling even though you aren't with them. There's some kind of, I don't know, outside knowledge, group knowledge, something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when, when I, uh, when I preach about, you know, where we should be as a civilization, we need to be light bearing beings, man. And light bearing beings respect other light. Namaste is all about the light within me respects the light within you. And just our culture, you know, it's like when, when I'm on the mat with my friends who are quote unquote knuckleheads, you know, by societal standards, the, um, there's way more love and mutual respect for people who are of every deviation, dude. You could have, you know, a mental handicap or physical handicap. Yeah, it's like you almost recapture that tribal yeah. essence in the gym. Yeah, exactly. You know, there, the, a pecking order is something that I don't think needs to be established when you're out going to a concert or when you're, you know, in a group setting all the time. But I do think that when you get down to tasks, you know, um, task cohesion as opposed to group, group cohesion, it takes all kinds, man, and things are going to work themselves out. You know, people who cry about it and see everything as an aggression, it's like, I'm telling you, hypersensitivity and this, this ego of holding on to things that, you know, we, it's a lot of people who are, are teaching, they are reading things and they haven't seen things firsthand. You know, there yeah, and it's it's so easy to complain, man, you know, and the, the fact that I, I heard someone say this, it's not... Things aren't harder; they're more complex. Yeah. They're like things are are hard because of the complexities of society and norms. And uh, but you know they're definitely like things for our like my grandparents were hard, right? That could you imagine how daunting it would be to try to be a lead mind in something like archaeology right now, or you know, in pretty much anything mathematics? You you have to be so. Uh, man, I like felt like I had to get a master's degree. I felt like I was, which you know, I didn't really. Um, I use it now, but uh, I didn't use it for a few years. And but I, I felt like it was, it was, you know, I couldn't do. I couldn't teach any college classes. I would have got out with just my history degree. I would be unemployable virtually. I would have some interesting facts I could talk about on this podcast. But having gone through grad school made me employable at university level, yeah. doing things like general education courses and some, some courses within my field of expertise beyond that. But um, it's, uh, it is fascinating to me that I felt like I, I had to go do that because how uh, competitive things are. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to end up getting my PhD someday. But it's like, I'm, I'm, I mean, you know me, like I crave, I crave knowledge. I'm always I'm always studying and researching the things I that I enjoy. Hear, I want to hear every. I mean, maybe not every aspect on things, but I want to hear the op opposing sides, man. Yeah, it's good stuff. Man. That's why, like, uh, I feel like you know, there's a lot of politics and division and gripes and complaints and martial arts and traditional versus modern and and it's like the reason that is, man, is because those people are practitioners. They're not historians. Mm -hmm. They don't know the history, and their history is biased there to the extent. There are only so many Dan Carlins out there, bro. Yeah, you know, and it's like, and what's fascinating about that is that Dan Carlin is a journalist. 
Yeah. Just like Graham Hancock's a journalist. Yeah. So was um, Lee Strobel, bro. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Um, when, <sighs> doggone, dude, mm. there was a, okay, so, yeah, Elon Musk said that, and there was something else I wanted to say, bro, and I can't think about it, so we'll address it in the future. It's not that big. Yeah, you know, um, uh, there is a, a oh, moment. Wait, okay, go ahead. It. I got it. So one of those TED Talks is by, um, on the fourth phase of water, sorry, the TED Talk on the fourth phase of water, is by a cat who is doing craniosacral massage. Now, you know when I'm kind of gently just holding your head and you feel like your body starts vibrating or rotating or you might feel like... Um, you actually felt the bones of your skull move different pressures yeah. within your face. Let me, let me tell you something real quick on that. You yeah. know, my dad was in the hospital last yeah. week uh, in ICU, and his blood pressure got up to 234 over 138. And he kept complaining about his head hurting yeah. and kept complaining about his stomach hurting. They got his nausea under control, and then he had this horrible indigestion along with his uh, head hurting, he had, he'd just thrown up so much, like his symptoms got out of control. We were super, super worried and super fortunate that he uh, got, it, it's like his meds got out of, he's taken blood pressure meds forever, but they swapped his meds a couple years ago and he hadn't really been monitoring it because all his life you take the meds, you're fine. And you know, within reason it kept it under control. And uh, I can only ever remember one other time where it kind of got high and it was just like he was alarmed about it, but it's not like symptoms or going to hospitals. It's like, you know, his face is a little red. But um, they wheeled him down to give him a CT scan because they were worried. They are like, we have this for liability. We have to make sure he didn't have a stroke or has, you know, a blood clot or something. But uh, he just kept complaining about his head like hurting super bad. And that's like, I'll rub Cora in that same spot if she has like a headache or something. And, uh, and like the physiological response that he was putting off just for me because i just kind of put his weight in my hand and lift yeah, it up and he was just like like literally his shoulders just he just you know and that's the thing about therapy it's not only about touch and the actual measurable things a lot of it is just presence but yeah exactly like what you were saying dude we were taught five grams of pressure for craniosacral and the the natural effect of having your head held and having your back held or shoulder, whatever. You know what I show people all the time that you showed me, and I, I just I consider it a lower back um, traction is like when you like take one of my like I'm on my belly and you take one of my legs like right up above my knee and my like where my shin's at and you yeah. kind of lift it up. I've uh, I've been having people do this to me and doing this to people and just uh, in my chiropractor's done it to me before, but they're on their belly just picking both their legs up and letting them hang. Yeah, you did that. Oh dude, man, I remember, bro? It feels so good. And, and that, that yoga wheel in there—that's hyperextension of the hips, and so that is kind of the opposite of our normal posture, which is kind of a slouch. So yeah, it's you know you're opening your hip flexors and being tall, which is what the uh, ancients have talked about for a long time, dude. You know, just. Just being open and stretching open as opposed to always forward folding and things like that. But it is it crazy how crazy. we just collapse in on ourselves yeah, over time. People, and uh, I think that the mind has a lot to do with it. People who kind of hold themselves to a lot of restrictions as far as what they allow themselves to do with their mm -hmm. body. They have a, a more of a tendency towards stagnation. And things like it that. is crazy because, I mean, you've worked on me a lot. I don't know how many times. Probably, what, 15, 20 times, yeah, it, I would say. Yeah, in the neighborhood at least. 
And um, it is weird how like, I picked up on things. It's like I am not by any sense of the means uh, able to achieve it, it on any level. But like I've remarked on just different things that you've done, like like having three points of contact versus yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, like um, particularly that very first day you worked on me, you had like like right here on my ulnar nerve while you were massaging my forearm, but you had your elbow in my palm mm -hmm. on a, and yeah, it just yeah. felt like there was like literal, like garbage leaving my palm where your elbow was at. Like, yeah. it was like, like I've like literally perceived there was like negative tension was going down my arms. Like I, it was, I never felt anything like that. And that being, you know, is there, there's like, I guess, a, a, a pressure point or, or something here in your palm. You can feel it feels good when I push on it. Yeah. But that and then I massage this ulnar nerve on people, people uh, when they like guys telling you Vince, it's like his elbows all locked out. But that ulnar nerve will get tied on me, too. And I, I notice it. But like and when people are like, oh, my arm got hyper, that, that that region is super tense. I've had golfers elbow golfers in the past and have figured out ways to pop my elbows. But, man, it's like. That was really like, you know, and I'll say this, I had that golfer's elbow really bad. And I mean, I still have a little occasional problems with my elbows, but not anything like yeah, exactly. a couple years ago. Man, I'm telling you, I've had things that bothered me ever since childhood or even after massage school when I uh, lived, you know, I lived with massage therapists afterwards and I've had a lot of friends in the circle that had a lot of things worked out distance Reiki from my Reiki master who was you know 1700 1800 miles away took away more pain and exactly like what you were describing it felt like there was a path like I felt my Reiki master holding my hand dude from you know long distance away and uh, I felt this bleeding of energy like things that I just didn't want stress or tension and afterwards I've never had the same level of pain bro and my body work game has stepped up incredibly as far as just listening my ability to listen yeah, I mean, and two, I don't care what you believe. It's like uh, it's based off of personal experience. And all I can do is talk about how crazy that was and how it blew my mind and how I'd previously not, I wasn't into massage therapy, you know. Like I, did, I thought it was just like a commercialized, it's like, oh, yeah, this, people can just go to the school and blah, blah, blah. But I just think that's the way it is around, around here, yeah. around these parts. You know, I don't know, though, because if, when I look at the country, see, this is something that I'm really progressive on. I think that prostitution should be legal in, in a responsible format. I think that if you advertise massage and you are running, you know, sex trafficking slaves or just straight prostitution, you need to be prosecuted under some extra kind of special thing like is, you know. Uh, you have to have a license to. Yeah, I mean, and, dude, isn't it crazy how that idea of a happy ending is directly associated with massage there? I was thinking yeah. about that the other day. That's I mean, like almost a, just a running joke. There are, you know, 20 apps where if you're driving across the country, you're like, oh man, where's the next rub and tug, you know? So it is what it is. It's human nature. But um, much right. like, you know, much like you can't i couldn't walk in and hold your dad's head you know because of the system and the way things are even though if it's totally you know mostly harmless all 99.9 percent .9 of the time you know yeah but uh maybe one time I you've worked on my dad before yeah yeah and um just not being able to go and get a responsible you know prostitute because that's what you want at that point you know you are a responsible american and the the things that are brought up because of that the social issues and 
that yeah yeah i haven't really thought about that man you probably have to deal with that stigma yeah but also the money in our society you know and all the things like prostitution is sex trade and the cops being too busy on stupid you know it's sex dude i don't even need to touch the topic so much has been written you know move on already (laughs) yeah it uh i feel um and i mean just I mean, things like that, it's like how effective is, uh, if you want just to colloquially uh, steal this um, identifier, but war on prostitution, war on drugs, um, war on cigarettes, whatever it is, it's like how effective is that stuff? It's just creating more criminals that we punish and clog up the system that needs to actually deal with life. Dude, in my hometown... Recently, this is making like state news, and I've I've seen some stories from the region about it. But these guys, uh, or particularly one guy I went to high school with, murdered another guy I went to high school with. Man, freaking crazy! And then like two is a big conspiracy. Like they've arrested four people that were in on the murder, all because of like drugs. And I'm going to tell the cops on you, and blah 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 blah, and. Oh, no, you're not. We're going to show you. And I mean, just like normal, normal things people talk about, but they actually killed this dude. Yeah. And, uh, and it was an unfortunate deal, man. That guy like was gone missing and then had a baby just like a couple of days ago, but he's, they found, they found his body like nine days ago or something. I mean, not so, you know, um, you know, very um, unfortunate situation. I've lived with and worked on and been friends with, Everyone from Secret Service, ATF, you know, DEA, everyone, you name the list, man, all the way up to Texas Rangers and a lot of local cops, like wherever I've lived, man. You know, I've never had that problem with authority. Um, I have always hung out with a lot of people who have had that big a problem with authority. You know, I have seen the things that that cops tolerate and what cops don't tolerate. And it's pretty much like... It's hard to know without being in that situation. Once you're there, man, but... Um, I, I just truly feel like most, most authority figures in our country are tired of enforcing the rules that are, you know, and it's not just that universally, like, uh, Joe Rogan was talking the other day about recreational marijuana and it's like that he couldn't even hardly believe as high as the stats were, um, on the last national poll that was like middle 60% on people that are just like. Just make it recreational legal already. We're tired of just throwing money at everything, you know, that has to do with it. Whether it's lobbying or, you know, you get uh, the whole thing about federal law versus state law. And, I mean, it just on and on and on. And people arguing facts with uh, crime rates and, and things. Of the, it's just fascinating to me but what, what here is a one byproduct and i don't think it's a and i'm just like well you know this this goes away if you make it federally legal but one thing people are complaining about that's legit is like a, a, more people moving to these cities where it is full recreational legality it's like vegas just made it recreational and but vegas is a major tourist spot it's like people aren't moving to vegas i feel like because it's legal um same thing for california i feel like it's a tourist uh, weed tourism type deal but for denver um i believe it's like a level higher than weed tourism i think people are moving to the region um for different reasons to to be a grower to um work at a dispensary just to for medical reasons, like to take their kids there. I've seen some documentaries on that. 
Uh, so like you get a lot of people flooding into the region and then some of it is just straight up, you know, dregs of society type stuff that are going there. Um, Chances but, are if you're basing your life decisions where you want to live and have your because of rec- yeah, yeah, because of recreational marijuana. Oh, too funny. But, I, I, you know, it, I feel like that wouldn't even be something people could stand on if it was not for federal law. Oh, yeah, no. You know, I... Um, it's not the will of the people anymore, so no, why is it not. the will of the federal government if I, the federal government's the people? Speaking firsthand, um, you know, when, when you're totally sober in our country, like you aren't drinking a beer, you've got nothing in your system, driving down the road is like it's like a freedom, you know, you just feel this certain type of freedom. If you smoked a joint two weeks ago and you know that if someone hit you and you got blood tested, you know, you have that psychological thing. And um, I don't think America values enough the, the mental things that we bear upon ourselves because of these rules and these sanctions, yeah. you know. And uh, I'm just, I'm one of those people who's tired of hypocrisy, bro. You know, the ego and the hypocrisy. Oh, I love it when some senator or something that's voted, uh, you know, anti-gay marriage, his whole career gets busted in a bathroom with some dude. It's just like people need to see and know about that stuff. small town things all the time, bro. And not just small town. Arizona was like that too, man. I'm just going to throw this out there. There's a rumor that there's a senator that's, that's voted along those lines that's super conservative from Dardanelle, Arkansas that um, actually had issued this uh, statement from his office about people. Uh, and they, uh, some people would be calling him about issues, and he's like issued them cease and desist letters. Mm. Oh, can't call our, our guy anymore, our representative. But yeah. the rumor is, is that that guy's gay and that he's, you know, been hypocritical. And it's like as long as that's going on, and it's like that's going on because of the stigma of being gay. That and it's like I don't think that's something that you can legislate out, but it's it's so unfortunate, man. I've known, um, I've known a lot of gay people, and I like they are people too, and I'm friends with them, been friends with them, and it's like it's sad to me to see people that I know that base friendships on like oh, I'm going to be friends with that person. They're yeah. gay, like, and it's like, or you know, and no, I. I'm going to take the uh, devil's advocate side and say that I don't have a problem with someone being gay, but I do have a problem with gay culture. You know, there's a whole di- and that's why Hollywood is falling. That's why so many different. Yeah, it are, is. Yeah. You know, and, and the real problem, they is, do. In my I, opinion, Joe Rogan talking about that the other day. They do accept things within their culture differently. Yeah. Like, uh, that Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, thing. And, uh, like George Takai and, uh, Kevin Spacey, all of these people, that if it's like a, like they're trying to say that it's an accepted thing within the culture yeah. for like um, underage, older, younger type but things to go on. Thing. That's the norm in many places in the world. So and, all throughout history. Yeah, all throughout history. Samurai, exactly. ancient Greek. Yeah, uh, boy, boys are for pleasure. Women are for breeding. And that's something that's been pretty constant. And that, you know, it, it's unfortunate. But, dude, I... I would. The one thing that I can say is child exploitation. I would never stand for it. Once, it, once it's like basically someone being removed out of their zone of freedom. But when I, I realize that these people don't speak for the entire community, like this Milo Yiannopoulos guy, but um, that that has been a stigma that has been attached based off of these um, these recent things going on in Hollywood and uh, things of that nature. That that that's not. Uh, 
it's not moving things forward at all, I don't think. Maybe it is over time. It's like you look at civil rights in the Dude, 60s versus now and how far things exactly. have come, but it's still, but still you look at Charlottesville. Dude, things are explosive quantum leaps instead of a nice flow of open, you know, respectful talks, man. It's a common theme. Like you, you just mentioned two different parts of society, but you can take that to any, any part of uh, human civilization, bro. We just fight this uh this acceptance of our reality you know we fight it hard man and i think that i, I don't i mean i wonder what why i got a fear of judgment i mean why why do people feel uh, you know it's like i tell people this jack johnson the boxer in 1905 1904 early 1900s and he was a guy who was a sports icon he had white girlfriends like uh, could could like speed through town and be like, hey, here's here's a hundred bucks. Even though the ticket's fifty, I'm gonna be coming back in an hour. Uh, you know, like I'm yeah. gonna be coming back through here. Don't pull me over. Do here's high schools do it. You know, colleges and not not just uh, you know not just educational institutes. We take care of people who have potential. I'm telling you right now, there's only I'm only here because a few people recognized in my teenage years that I had exceptional potential to do something or help people. And they made exceptions for me at a few points in my life, bro. You know? Yeah, it is weird how um, I've been given a lot of second chances too. Yeah. You know, and third chances and how I just feel like if you own your failure, yep. most of the time you can move past it depending on what the, uh, what the issue is. Um, like maybe on some of these things like, um, what's his name? Uh, Harvey Weinstein or whatever. Maybe that dude got just like bitch slapped in a restaurant the other day Damn. by some just person that recognized yeah, him. And recognized yeah, him. but apparently, um, you know, like he's doing some things like seeing, um, a counselor and has all this stuff that he's trying to do to like address his problems. But it's like, that dude is never going to be uh, like uh, that's the unfortunate byproduct. A lot of this that's going on is I almost think that it's going to have a McCarthyism type effect on some people. And that like, you, like uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but like, for example, let's say it's not James Franco has recently been accused of whatever. And I mean, it's like, man, in, in theater and acting and Broadway, it's like, that's a different culture in and of itself too. And, and, Let's say um, people are viewing what's going on right now, and like they start thinking, "Well, was I ever sexually harassed?" And it's like, I mean, there's that side too, where um, on the wine scene stuff, like a lot of women have come out against other women and said, "Like, well, look, no one forced you to go to this hotel room. You chose to do that. You put yourself in that situation out of a te what text message pressure." <laughs> you know, like that's almost like a, I have a problem with that oh, yeah. on, I, on I a certain more level. And more Americans are having a problem with that. Now, I mean, it, but there is inappropriate behavior too. Like they're saying this Louis C.K. blocking the door and stuff like that. Or, uh, but, you know, it, but it, I feel like, let's say, I don't know if James Franco's sexually harassed or assaulted anyone, but let's say he hasn't. And that affects his career in oh, a yeah. similar way that it's affected like Kevin Spacey or Steven Seagal Canceled, without any evidence or maybe there's evidence that's being withheld. You know, I'll say this. I have a friend that um, is from Hollywood that mm -hmm. told me some stories about Kevin Spacey yeah. and um, family guy was talking about Kevin Spacey yeah. like five years ago. And I do believe that that is probably um, 
mostly true. I, I heard the usual suspects production was shut down because of Kevin Spacey's inappropriate behavior. Really? Yeah, because I just thought about watching Usual Suspects earlier, and I was like, I'm not watching it because it's anymore. I am Kaiser Soze. Dude, it's funny. I, I watched, like, I tell, I tell people this periodically when I was, uh, like, an adult and had seen the movie Usual Suspects already. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, man. Classic, cult classic. I watched the movie with Eddie Murphy again, Dr. Doolittle. And one of the animals, like, when he's, like, out, like, in the country or whatever, like, when he's first, like, the animals start talking to him, like, this raccoon or something, like, comes up to him. He's like, I am Kaiser Soze. And, like, well, dude, how would I got that when I was a kid, man? I didn't <laughs> see Usual Suspects so I was, like, 18 years old or something. Oh, yeah. And uh, th then I saw Dr. Doolittle, like, uh, you know, as a younger, like, earlier 20s, and I was like, what? what? Like, how would I have gotten that as a kid? But I guess that was a little Easter egg for my parents, I don't know, who yeah, also, exactly. ironically, never saw The Usual Suspects, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway. Things get pretty adult. Man, the, the latest Pirates of the Caribbean, totally, totally adult. Very adult topic. What is the name of that? Uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Yeah, the you know, uh, um, a friend of mine worked on filming uh, at World's End. Really? Also filmed uh, National Treasure Two Book Secrets. He's going to come on the podcast. Cool. So um, he's done uh, done a lot of cool stuff. Uh, you can look him up on IMDb. Michael Sandow. He's a super cool dude. Lives here in Russellville. Uh, moved here uh, a few years ago, and uh, he's helped me set up the lighting in the room. Actually. Really. Yep. That's cool. So. Yeah, I like the place. Thanks for coming on, man. Um, anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap it up? Yeah, watch the uh, Matt Groening was predicting the future video to build on what you said about the uh, family guy, Matt Groening. Okay, right on, dude. Yeah. Um, well, uh, thanks for coming on, my friend. Always uh, look forward to hanging out with you. You're going to have to come back on. I mean... It's a uh, perk of having this podcast. I get to have cool people on, sit down and talk. And it's, you know, you're shooting because uh, like all this stuff that I talked about, I would love to have a yoga instructor, a chiropractor, just like all these contrasting opinions of uh, things that, you know, big parts of people believe in, don't believe in, or talking about naysaying on. It's like, well, let's gather the perspectives. Let's, uh, let's break it down and, and be open-minded. So Appreciate you coming on, sharing your uh, take on things. Uh, as always, uh, good seeing you, my friend, and uh, I guess we'll be signing off. Thank you.